So every year, I make my kids sit down and watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? Every year. I've been doing that since they were little kids. And when they were smaller, they hated it because it's, it's old, right? And it's not, you know, contemporary. Thing. I don't know what they think about it now. They stop complaining to me, and I don't care if they like it or not. I still make them sit down and watch it because it's awesome, Right? And uh, I, I, I love it because I love the message. I love the nostalgia because when I was a kid, we didn't have cartoons 24-7. And I can remember being seven, eight years old and ABC advertising, you know, two weeks from now, Charlie Brown Christmas special and, you know, on such and such a night at 7 p.m. Uh, Central and 8 p.m. Eastern and, you know, all that you know, stuff that you used to have on TV before we just started streaming everything. And they would advertise that, and then the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer would be after it with that weird claymation, Frosty the Snowman narrator. It's like a little bit, you know, like, what's up with the mustache, Frosty? Y'all don't remember what I'm talking about, right? If you don't, if you don't, if you're here and you don't know what I'm talking about with Charlie Brown Christmas special, I, I really do feel bad for you. And you should at least watch the intro of that Rudolph thing to see that weird Frosty the Snowman. Um, I looked forward to it for weeks but you know, over the time, over time, I really lost interest in the Rudolph story. I mean, it's really just based on the song, and it was, you know, it, it actually it was kind of 60s level strange. And you know, if you ever watch any Hanna Barbera, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but you're familiar with the Chris, Charlie Brown story, right? Charlie Brown's frustrated. He's frustrated with the commercialization of Christmas legitimate frustration. And he should be. He tells Linus that despite all of the Christmas presents and the Christmas cards and the carols and the decorations, that he, every year he winds up depressed. That's how it opens. And then he sees Snoopy entering his doghouse into a contest, a decorating contest for money. And Lucy's counting her money and complaining that she never gets real estate for Christmas. And, and then his sister Sally asks him to help him write a letter to Santa. And it's just just gigantic list of you know, all the toys she wants. And, and he tries to help with the Christmas play and he just becomes more frustrated and the story builds to a head and it gets right here, builds to a head right here. 1965 and there was frustration already about building about the commercialization of Christmas. Now, 53 years later, it has not gotten better, right? Christmas decorations show up in October. Um, People fight over cheap TVs at Black Friday events, which makes no sense to me, right? Cyber Monday, you can add that to the mix. Nobody's, as far as I know, nobody's gotten killed from Cyber Monday yet. Uh, and you know most retailers make 75% of their profit from um, the, the Black Friday through Christmas Eve. 75, 75% most retailers. And we're in the middle of Christmas season. Music lights, shopping parties, sugary foods, crazy traffic, insane crowds. And people who apparently only drive in December in every parking lot in Temecula and Marietta. Right? I went to Walmart the other day, went inside Walmart, it was fine. And I'm like, then what's with the insanity in the parking lot? Right? Um, and I know I sound a little bit like the angry old guy on his porch shouting, get off my lawn! But um, that's, that's where we are. That's, that's what it's gotten to. And so, and, and because Chris, for Christians, Christmas brings challenges. It's a difficult task to not get caught up in the, the Christmas cycle and forget why we even really celebrate Christmas. Where, where our priorities are about everything but the incarnation of Christ and the reason he came. It's, it's a battle for our minds to not get caught up in the shopping and the food and the decorations and even the family time 
that, that we don't take a moment to actually celebrate Jesus becoming man, human, God in the flesh. So we're going to answer Charlie Brown's question today. What's Christmas all about, right? By asking ourselves one particular question from Hebrews chapter 2, and that is, why did Jesus become human? But we're not going to do that from Luke like Linus did. We're going to, we're going to jump way forward and look at from Hebrews 2 about why he became a man. He, Hebrews is a very structured book, and if you've ever read it all the way through, you'll, you'll notice a lot of imagery. It's, the language of Hebrews is very poetic and sermonic, it's, and it's very practical at the same time. It's a beautifully written book. And I'm not, my Greek is terrible, but I'm told by Greek scholars that it's the best Greek in all of the original manuscripts. I wouldn't know. Um, it'd be pretty much, it's... it's uh, Yes, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Hebrews a little better. We're going to read 5 through 18, but we're only really going to look at verse 10. That's why I asked Danny to read Hebrews 1 this morning. Beginning with verse 5, it says, that, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we were speaking. It's been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. And you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control at present. We do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he made him, made, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. So such a, such a wonderful passage of Scripture. Because basically in verses 5 through 9, the writer of Hebrews raises an important proposition. He raises a proposition that Jesus had to become a man. And then he spends the rest of the book telling us why. And that's what I want us to deal with today is why did Jesus become human? The first thing we find in verse 10, and it's right off the bat, we find that it was fitting. Because it was fitting. God the Father, for whom by all things exist and bringing sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, verse 10. Fitting. It's a, it's a strange word. Appropriate might mean appropriate, but it gives us a glimpse into the heart and the character of the Father, God the Father. God had a desire, and that desire was bringing many sons to glory. That's what's in verse 10. It was fitting 
for God the Father to bring many sons to glory through the suffering of the Savior. Christ's death was sufficient in providing the means of salvation for every single individual. That, that's what comes out in verse 9, because there's a, there's a contrast between verses 9 and 10 where it says, uh, bring many sons to glory, because many sons in, in verse 10 is contrasted with every man in verse 9. This death was sufficient in providing salvation for every single individual, but the actual realization of that salvation will only be experienced by many sons. Because verse 10 tells us that, that the suffering fit with God's plan of bringing salvation. It was fitting that the Father would bring salvation through the suffering of Christ. But does fitting or appropriate, whatever you want to use there, does it mean necessary, right? Was it necessary that Christ suffered? Well, when you, when you talk about fitting and necessity, you have to look at the character of God. God's not saying to himself, this fitting word, he's not saying, yeah, I think we can make this work, right? We're going to fit it in, right? I got a plan. I'll, I'll, this will work. This will work, right? No, see, when you're dealing with the character of God, God cannot out act outside of his character, outside of his nature. He only acts within his character. And when something is in harmony, harmony with the nature and the character of God and his attributes, it really can only be said that it's necessary. God doesn't have plan B's, right? And he's not weighing his options and determining which of these do I want to do. That's what we do. Right? But that's not in the character of God. So was it necessary? Yes, it was necessary. That's certainly the case in this situation because no other method or means of salvation would have been consistent with the holiness and love of God. So the suffering of Jesus was the only way that man could be brought to the Father. God can only act in a way that's harmonious within himself in every respect. And it, it uses language here that calls Jesus the founder. And I love the, the, the King James, New King James, I think, has the same thing where it says he's the captain of our salvation, right? I, I use the ESV. I love the ESV. I've grown to love it. But boy, that, that term, captain of our salvation, just sounds so much better than founder in my mind, right? The, those, those, he, a good way to think of that is the trailblazer of salvation, the one who tasted death so we don't have to. Jesus is the forerunner. He's the pioneer of salvation. Uh, when you think of pioneers or trailblazers, who, who, do you th- who comes to mind, right? Somebody say me. Lewis and Clark. That's exactly first people came to my mind. Yeah, and I didn't even know that Lewis's name was Meriwether Lewis. Did y'all know that? Yeah, did not know that. And I'm kind of an American history buff. Uh, you would think I'd remember that. William Clark Meriwether Lewis, 1804, assigned by Thomas Jefferson to, to uh, find a passage from Missouri to the Pacific Ocean, right? Which had not been done. And with less resources than we would take on one night of camping nowadays, a few men um, and a lot of courage, they, they took off and they left to find passage to the Pacific Ocean. And you know what happened? Over the next hundred years, America settled the West literally following in the footsteps of Lewis and Clark in what became known as the Oregon Trail, right? You all familiar with the Oregon Trail? You might have played the video game back in the day, right? And, uh, and everybody always died from a wolf, got eaten by wolves. Um, I, and, but you know what? Christ, like them, 
He, he blazed a path, a path which leads us to the promised land of salvation and eternal life, and he's gone where we could not go, carrying with him the resources of righteousness and truth and an all-conquering life. He opened the way for us to heaven, and we follow him in that path. He's the trailblazer of our salvation. And, and we realize that the suffering of death was necessary, but it also says that he, he was made perfect through suffering. Now, wasn't Jesus already perfect? I mean, that was kind of the point, right? It had to be Jesus. He had to come down, live the righteous life, live perfect. So what does that mean he was made perfect? Perfection doesn't mean that the Father made the Son better. It means the Son completed the plan. Jesus perfected the plan through suffering. What plan? The plan to bring many many sons to glory. Perfection in Hebrews means Christ completed the course. He he made an end to God's plan. Jesus Jesus was made perfect through suffering. It describes his full obedience to the mission. It's what he meant when he cried on the cross. It is finished. Death on the cross and the necessity of that act to bring many sons to glory. That's why Christ came. That's what Christmas is all about. That's, that's, that's the same thing that Jesus told these, the two on the road to Emmaus that we've talked about two weeks ago. They, they were distraught because Jesus had died. Christ had died. And, and, and Luke 24, Christ asked them, he said, wasn't it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then he expounded the scriptures and told them all the stuff that they had missed, misunderstood. Jesus could not have become a perfect savior if he did not become human and suffer and die. It was necessary. It was necessary for Christ to become a man. So second reason we see from Hebrews that why Christ, why did Jesus become a man? Because we're family. It says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Now, there's, a, there's an important theological point being made here that, that God is creator of all. But he's not the father of all. Not, not just anyone can call God Father. He's not in a fatherly relationship with unrepentant sinners. Romans 5 says that we're enemies of God until we're, we're, we're reconciled to the Father through the Son. God's created a new family, a new humanity, a new and redeemed people through Christ. Paul, Paul wrote about this in Ephesians 2, 15 and 16, referring to how God has taken on both the Jews and the Gentiles and created a new race and faith in Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus died and rose again, creating in himself, this is Ephesians 2, listen, creating in himself one new people from two people groups, together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. At salvation, we're adopted into the family of God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is now our older brother. And Christ said he's not ashamed to call us family. 
Now, this may seem a little obvious or may not seem like a big deal, but has anyone in here got any family they're ashamed of? Right? Y'all were not supposed to laugh. I don't know know what you're talking about, right? You know, I'm... I thought, I thought about this long and hard yesterday. Because I've got, I, I'm not. I don't have any family I'm ashamed of. And I've got some family that's done some terrible things, right? I've got family that blew up garage brothers, cause they're cousins, but they're, they're brothers, that blew up a garage cooking meth. Yeah, went to jail for it, six months. Um, apparently not very good at it. It's their first batch, so... Um, you know, I got family that went to jail for writing bad checks, a lot of bad checks. Um, I got family that got shot through the chest with a nine millimeter pistol by his father-in-law and only spent two days in the hospital. Went completely through, damaged no organs, only tissue. Yeah, that was his come to Jesus moment, <laughs> literally. He told, he told my dad... I was laying on the ground thinking, um, okay, I need to change some things in my life, right? <laughs> right? And, and God bless him, that was two years ago, Lisa. And he's told, told me, he's, he, you know, he, as far as I know, he's still, he got saved, baptized, he's been in church for the last two years, faithful. Um, so I guess it literally wasn't come to Jesus moment for him. But you know, when I go back to Mississippi in a few weeks, I'll see them and I'll hang out with them and I'll, tell, I'll, I'll ask them to tell me all their crazy stories, right? Anything that doesn't make me have to be a witness at some, uh, you know, some trial somewhere. Um, you know, there's certain things I won't do. I'm not going to put Lisa in the car with them and tell them y'all go to town, right? You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there. But they're family, right? And if they showed up here, I would introduce them and hug them because they're family. And I do not agree with a lot of their lifestyles and some of what they've done. A lot of it they've turned around and changed. Um, thank, thank God for that. And it's only because of Christ. But, you know, i got to be honest with you. I, I've never been to jail. I've never been shot. I've never cooked meth. But I'm not about to reveal every secret thing in my life to them. Right? Their stuff was public. Mine just happened to not be public. But, you know, God the Father knows Jesus Christ knows. He knows every secret thing. Those things you're, all y'all are hiding from everybody in this room, he knows. But for those of us that are saved, believers, Christ says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters because God is our Father. And, and he said, I, I'll tell the name in the midst of the congregation. I'll sing your praise. And in order for this to happen, For us to be part of the many sons and daughters brought to glory, Jesus had to become a man, and he had to become human. There's a third reason why Jesus had to become a man. And that's so we do not have to fear death. We are slaves to the fear of death. Now, I know that the polling people say that the number one fear is public speaking and number two is death. But I am 100% certain that if I point a gun at anybody in this room and tell you if you don't hop up here and give a speech, I'm going to shoot you, you're going to become the most nervous orator on the planet. But you're going to start talking, right? Right? I I don't believe it. 
And I did look this up and thought to myself, I want, you know, is that still true? Because that's kind of an old stat. So I, I, found some, I found this list of like 50 biggest fears. Uh, it, was, it was number one, actually, the, the number one list that popped up on Google. So it, supposedly death has moved down to number 25, right? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Not really. Here's why. Um, I'm just going to name a few of the biggest fears that, that are before number 25. Um, healthcare. <laughs> nothing, has nothing to do with death, right? Uh, North Korea using nuclear weapons. That has nothing to do with death. Why, why, would, you, why would we fear that? Um, air pollution, terrorist attacks, biological warfare, people I love dying, Right? The number one is still death. We've just chosen different ways to, to frame the, the answers to the questions. But, but you know, they, people have convinced themselves they're not afraid of death. But we spent $3 trillion on health care in 2016, $100 billion on diet, $37 billion on health and fitness, right? All trying to buy ourselves a couple of more days. When they, when they talk about like smoking cigarettes and they really want to scare somebody, what do they tell you? Every cigarette takes so much time off of your life, right? On the back end. Um, I've, heard, I, you know, I've heard them say the same thing about bacon. And, um, <laughs> right? But I don't believe it. I do not believe it. Uh, you know, Jason Robertson used to say those last years aren't that great anyway, so he's okay taking off a few years. <laughs> he's going to eat bacon. Um, I, I want to read, I want to read, um, I, use a, I use a couple of Bible translations in my study. Uh, I use a, um, ESV is a, is a um, word-for-word translation out of the, out of the, um, the Greek, and and there's some translations that are thought-for-thought translations. And, and they're not bad translations. They're just a little bit different approach to the text. And, and because of that, I, I think the SV is, is a one, of the, one of the most, not, not, probably not, not the most, but we're getting into the weeds there. But I want to read, I wanna read um, 14 through and 15 out of the, the New Living Translation. Not the Living Bible, the New Living Translation. It says, because God's children are human beings. I'm going to put it up there. I want you all to read it. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Right there in the text, you see the incarnation. You see why Jesus came. Now, now there are two outcomes in the incarnation in these verses. Through, Through death... He destroyed the one who has the power over death. That's the devil. And through this destruction, he freed us from being slaves to the fear of death. There's two verbs, to destroy and to deliver. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to destroy and deliver. And neither of these could have happened if Christ had not become a man. And that's, that's the problem Jesus came to solve. It's from this that he saves us. Not merely from unhappiness or dysfunction or failure. Too much of the church today is, is concerned with what's ultimately trivial. Jesus didn't come to make us happy. He didn't come to give us a good marriage or help us live our best life now. 
That's not why Jesus came. He came to free us from the fear of death, allowing us to live, to live for Him, and to serve Him and follow where He leads. Because of Christ, there is so much more to life than this life. What we need to be saved from is far greater. The complete reign of death because of sin is what we're saved from, a control that that holds us in bondage through fear. It it affects us, even our experience towards the end of life. And and something that we we are always in our minds, but, but death is the problem from which Jesus came to save us from. Richard Phillips says, Death is the rod of Satan's rule, and the source of his laughter at our expense. And Christ came and destroyed that. But you're probably asking yourselves, Pastor Scott, we still die, right? Well, yes. But what does that mean for us? It it literally means we don't have to fear death. It means that we see death like the Apostle Paul who said in Philippians 1 that it's his eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed But with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It means we can live knowing that there are greater rewards than this life only, that we can live with eternity in mind, living for Christ, which may mean giving up some earthly comforts while on earth in order to reap the rewards that are eternal rewards. It's, it's, it's what Martin Luther was, was talking about in the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, when he said, Let good and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And what he saves us from is the fear of death, that this is it. This is all there is to life. And so I've got to do everything I can while I'm here and get it all in and make as much money as I can and spend it and and go here and do this and do this. When in reality, what he wants us to say is, no, there's more going on than it's here. So look to eternity. Lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal. We're no longer slaves of the fear of death because we serve a king and a kingdom that's forever. This is not our home. We're renters. Right? Lisa and I have been renters for, I don't know, how long? Six years? Seven years? Seven years? Every two years they sell the house we're renting and we have to move. Right? So we love this house we're in right now. Love it. It's like, oh, Lord, if we could buy this house. Right? I'm just waiting for the hammer to drop. Sorry, dude, we're selling it. Um, it's, I, I, I love it and I hang out there and we, we, Lisa's done a fantastic job of making it a home. But somewhere in the back of my mind I'm always knowing... It could be gone tomorrow, right? And if you ever rented, it's not yours. You're not pouring money into this house that doesn't belong to you. You're not, you know, decorating the garage wall with cabinets that, are, that you're going to have to rip out later. You're not putting in new flooring, right? You're not re- landscaping the backyard, you know? I mean, maybe you are. If you, it's... it's It'll make you feel better, but it's not a great investment. We understand there's more to life than this short time we have on earth. It's our spending all our efforts trying to become bigger, better, richer here on earth is a waste of time in light of the future and the future home. And that's what Christ frees us from in order so we can live for him. 
We no longer have to fear death. There's a fourth reason why Jesus became a man. So we would have a sympathetic Savior. Verses 17 and 18 are literally, there's two things happening. They're wrapping up an argument and starting an argument. I mean, starting a proposition all at the same time. They're wrapping up everything that started happening in in verse 1 of chapter 1 and starting the next uh, 11 chapters of the book of Hebrews, 12 and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews. It says, therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. There are a lot of theological and philosophical questions that have become a little cliche over the years. Um, Usually they're argued among like college students or people who spend too much time on internet forums. Um, argued in like men's Bible studies, that type of thing. And y'all know the ones I'm talking about, like can God make a rock so big he can't lift it, right? Y'all have tried to answer that question. Um, If anybody asks you that question, just walk away. Just walk away. There, you know. Um, If we made contact with life from other planets, would would we need to share the gospel with them? Right? I've debated that one. That was kind of a fun one because of all the theology it brings up. If y'all have never debated that, please don't come up and ask me about it. It'll take us hours to work through that. Um, uh, I'll give you a short answer. I have a short answer. I have a one-word answer, but you're not going to like it. All right? My short, some, some won't care, but my short answer is no. We would not. Um, those are fun and silly a little bit, uh, and, and, but some of these types of questions, they have huge implications. And there is one that I see debated a lot, and and I get a little frustrated. In fact, Danny and I have talked about this. And that is, did Jesus have to die, or could God have saved humanity another way? Did Jesus have to become human? Now, I feel like we've already established that answer, but just in case you weren't convinced, let's just look at the text. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. There's your answer. So if you might ask you that question, just turn to Hebrews 2.17, and there's your answer. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. And here's why. It wasn't enough for Christ just to die. It wasn't even enough for Christ to just die and then be resurrected. And here's what I mean by that. If he just showed up at age 29, 30, just poof on earth, fully human, done his ministry, died, resurrected, and, and ascended. That would be not be enough to get us to heaven. He had to live a righteous life. It's why he was born an infant and lived those years. And here's, here's why. Here's the theology of that. The righteous life that Christ lived, that perfect sinless life that he lived for 33 years on earth, that's what's credited to, to us as righteousness, His death atoned for our sins. But it's the imputation. I know that's a big fancy word. But it's it's his righteousness, the life that he lived from birth to death, that righteousness, the fulfilling of the law and the fulfilling of the sinlessness is what God looks at and sees 
as given to us, imputed to us. He became a man, born as an infant, to suffer in this fallen world and face the temptation to sin and overcome sin and fulfill the righteous life needed in order to make propitiation. And I know propitiation is a big word, but if you can remember a Starbucks order, you can remember propitiation, right? Because I go in there sometimes, I don't go in Starbucks much, and when I do, I just order coffee. Like, I would like a coffee, and they're like, what? Do we make that? Um, right? Uh, yeah, it's that thing right there, right? Give me a little cream. Uh, and um, some big orders. Propitiation. Jesus' death atoned for our sins, but it was the righteous life that, that allowed him to be our substitute, the spotless lamb. There, there are those who say at Christmas that there would be no Christmas without Good Friday, or, there, or, or the real reason for Christmas is that Jesus came to die. And that's true. I mean, those are, those are true. Maybe a little oversimplified, but they're true. Jesus came to die came to save. Um, but those statements, they, they kind of diminish the point of the incarnation. They, they gloss over the importance of why God became a man. He didn't just come to die. He also came to live, to suffer like we suffer in order to become a faithful high priest, a sympathetic savior. Who understands us because he became one of us? Now, church, I have to admit, I struggle with thinking about Christ as fully human and everything that means. I love thinking of God as other than me and high and exalted. But when you, when you boil down Christ to his humanity and you consider that the exalted king our Savior became human, there are some things that that means that it makes me uncomfortable to think about. And you may not understand exactly what I mean, so I'm going to help you, right? I'm going to read an excerpt from a Max Lucado book around this section. He says, Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. And had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons. Jesus may have had pimples, he may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing is for sure he was completely divine and completely human. For thirty three years he would feel everything you and I have felt. He felt weak, he grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible. He, he got colds. He burped. He had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. And his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light, is, it, it almost seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's, something, it's, it's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. Pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. Right? But that's why Jesus came. He suffered like we suffer. He went through the trials and the tribulations that growing up on this earth, we go through. He who is all-powerful Lord, placed the stars, set the globe spinning, became vulnerable as he walked in the dirt that he himself had created. He grew the tree that would become the cross. 
But in mind and body, he was truly human in order to help us when we're tempted. The, the Christian, the, the Christians that the author of Hebrews were writing to, they, they were daily tempted to give up Christ and go back to the life that didn't involve persecution or hardship or those types of things. A life where they weren't mocked and ridiculed and, and ostracized from their own culture, called intolerant because they didn't accept other religions. And that's not modern language, that was literally happening. The author reminds them that Christ became a man, that he had to become a man in order to secure salvation for many sons and daughters. And like them, when we face the crisis of faith or temptation to sin, we can run to him from help. And, and church, he is able. He's able to help. He's able to help us in temptation, not because he's fully God, but because he's fully human. He suffered when tempted. Because of that, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And you may be here, and you don't even fall into this category of the many sons and daughters. You may not be a brother, sister of Christ, but Hebrews 2.9 says that he tasted death, he died for you. So you too can overcome the fear of death. You don't have to live in fear of death. Today you can be free to follow Christ. Why did Jesus become a man? To fulfill God's plan of saving and reconciling us to him. He became a man because we're his family, a brother who's not ashamed. He became a man to destroy our fear of death. He became a man to be a perfect high priest, a sympathetic savior who can help when we're tempted. That's why Jesus came. Is this what you mean when you say Merry Christmas? Because that's what Merry Christmas means. It means Christ was sent. If you lack courage, look to Jesus. Are you desperate? Look at the resurrected Jesus. If you're lonely, your brother and your friend who said he will never leave you or forsake you. If you struggle with sin, look to Jesus who put an end to sin. If you struggle with faith, look to a God who conquered our greatest enemy and reveals his plan for our good, seated on the throne. Whatever you lack, whatever you need, it's not a new command, a new teaching, a new willpower, a new motivation. What you need is a Savior in whom you trust and in whom you can find refuge. There's a difference between the gospel and religion. Religion takes a look at your problem and tells you to do better, try harder. The gospel tells you to just look to Jesus and what he's done because he's already accomplished it. Scripture says get to know Jesus. Knowing him will do more good than knowing yourself. What's Christmas all about, Charlie Brown? It's about Jesus becoming a man, destroying death, destroying fear, and by doing so, allowing us to live as part of his family. And turn to him in time of need. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Lord, for him stooping to humanity in order to break the power of fear and death. Lord, to save us from hell. 
Lord, save us to be able to live for him. And God, that's, our, that's my cry for MVC this morning. God, that we would be able to live for Christ because of what he's done for us. Lord, we thank you for the incarnation. Lord, as we celebrate the Christmas this season, God, and go to the holiday parties and eat the cookies and the candy and open the presents. And God, all, all those things are, are fun and good and there's nothing wrong with them. God, I pray you would always call to mind the purpose of our celebration in the first place. And Lord, be able to use that to, to burn it into our hearts and our minds to cause us to live more for you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.